This episode of the Holly Fueled Nutrition Podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. To get 10% off your first month of therapy, visit the link in the show notes, which is betterhelp.com slash hollyfueled. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash H-O-L-L-E-Y-F-U-E-L-E-D. Hey everyone, I am Holly Samuel and I am a registered dietitian, board certified sports dietitian, personal trainer, and I am your podcast host today. And today I am going to be joined by a co-host, Mackenzie Caldwell, who is a fellow dietitian. She's one of my colleagues, one of my friends. Um, We knew each other briefly when I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina a couple years ago. We met through a mutual friend and I was always just super impressed by her and her work um, and kind of how she, you know, portrays her her message and education on all things fertility and prenatal and pregnancy nutrition and so much more to all of her followers and her clients. Um, she is absolutely amazing. So I really wanted to cover this topic. This will kind of be like a bit of a crash course on pregnancy nutrition for for anyone really, but we also did kind of give some special highlights for folks who are runners, um, endurance athletes of all different levels, because pregnancy nutrition in general, you know, uh, applies, <laughs> all recommendations apply to you as a runner, but there might be some extra considerations um, on top of that, that I tried to highlight in this episode. If you want like more episodes on these types of topics, please let me know. Send me a DM on social media, send me an email, send me a question in the Q&A section of this episode if your platform allows that on things like Spotify. Um, But, you know, this is definitely a topic that as I started talking to uh, Mackenzie, who specializes in this and is a professional and expert in this, I was like, oh, I could probably do like dozens of episodes on these topics um, because there's just a lot to dive into when it comes to unpacking prenatal nutrition. That's like its whole category on its own, which you'll hear about in the episode. And then pregnancy nutrition, even breaking it down like by trimester and then looking at a lot of the challenges pregnant people face, a lot of the challenges pregnant runners face, um, and a lot of the challenges that are honestly put on us by the society we live in that unfortunately, is very enthralled in thinness and fat phobia and diet culture and oppressing um, women in particular. So um, we had a really great conversation. I hope you guys get plenty out of this episode. And just a fellow disclaimer and reminder that uh, while Mackenzie is a registered dietitian and a professional in this field, she is not necessarily your registered dietitian. And this is not a replacement for individualized nutrition or medical advice and is met for educational purposes only. If you want to go work with her or check her out, um, I kind of talk about how to find her at the end of the episode and it's also linked in the show notes um, and run anything that we talk about today by your healthcare provider team prior to implementing. But I really hope you guys enjoy the episode. Let's get into it with Mackenzie. Hey, Mackenzie, and welcome to the Hollyfield Nutrition nutrition podcast. I'm really excited to chat with you. It's been a while. I know it has been. I'm um, excited to be here. 
Yeah. The last time I think I saw Mackenzie, we both found ourselves as like the two dietitians and a group of people on a camping trip who like brought fun snacks. So <laughs> <laughs> I know we're the snack friends and, um, not only is it beneficial to our friends, but I mean, honestly, we're doing it for ourselves and other people just benefit. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And as we'll talk about today, which we're going to talk all about like pregnancy, nutrition and, um, and that type of thing, snacks become even more important mm -hmm. in my opinion, when, when you're pregnant, um, I called them like my, my emergency comfort snacks. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I'm excited to kind of chat with you today. I mean, obviously we're both dietitians. I know stuff about pregnancy from school and you know, actually it's always fascinated me. So I've tried to go out of my way to learn more things too, but this is like your niche this year are the expert in this topic. So I'm super excited to chat with someone who just, you know, does this every single day with people. Um, but tell everyone, you know, who you are, where you're located, um, and what you do. Yeah. So I'm Mackenzie Caldwell. I'm a registered dietitian located in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and my specialty is fertility and prenatal nutrition. I take a weight inclusive body positive approach to my work. So, um, I'll see a, pop, a lot of people who, uh, maybe have a history of disordered eating and want to make sure that they're taking care of their bodies in pregnancy, um, without all of the fat phobia and triggering diet information that's out there in the world. Um, and I might even help people kind of recover from disordered eating so that they can nourish their bodies fully um, from fertility through pregnancy and beyond. So that's my niche. I mostly see people entirely. I do see people entirely virtual. Um, but North Carolina is my home and that's how I met Holly. I love that. Yeah. We had a mutual friend and she was telling me, you know, I have this, I have this other friend who's a dietitian. She's really great. And I was like, Oh, like, does she have social media? And I think I like looked you up or stalked you before I even met you. And I was just looking at your page. I was like, I love her. <laughs> I was like, she's, she's great. <laughs> um, yeah, we take a, we take a similar approach to the, the diet culture BS, um, and nonsense. Mm -hmm. And this is something that like, you know, I'm in the sports nutrition kind of endurance athlete space. And I obviously have talked to and worked with pregnant runners before, um, or runners who are trying to conceive even, but it's, it's something that I did. I wasn't fully immersed in how bad, like some of the diet, like fat phobic, like stuff can be during pregnancy until I got pregnant. And yeah. then I was like, Whoa, <laughs> yep. um, like, yeah, like this is a whole problem. So I'm excited to dive into that today. Yeah, it's, it's well, terrible. <laughs> it's really, really bad. And, um, there's so much that needs to be done to change that space. And there's also just so much we can do with nutrition that isn't restrictive and that, um, doesn't have anything to do with weight management or weight control. Um, and is purely just focused on nutrition as a form of self-care or exercise as a form of self-care, which is where kind of like your expertise comes into play too. Yeah, I know those two concepts so radical sometimes, but very yeah, right. simple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in terms of like kind of getting into, you know, prenatal and like fertility nutrition, like what got you so interested in specializing in that? Um, I'm a nerd. <laughs> I remember just being in, I think probably sophomore year of undergrad learning about, um, like in the life cycle nutrition course that we all have to take as dietitians and, um, getting to the kind of pregnancy portion and just being fascinated. I think we were learning about iron transport across the placenta. And I was like on the edge of my seat 
And so kind of basically since then, anytime I ever learned anything about reproductive health and how nutrition is involved, I was just super curious and, um, decided to kind of make that my focus. And I absolutely love it. Um, and it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I kind of finally realized that I have PMDD myself, which is a hormonal issue. And then kind of was like, wow, I can't actually apply some of this stuff to myself, even though I'm not even close to having a kid at this point. So, um, yeah, it's, um, it's been really cool to be in this space. And I think also, um, kind of my journey recovering from disordered eating too, you kind of start to see the interplay of, um, kind of radical feminism and how our U S healthcare system really does not take care of mothers in the slightest, um, maternal mortality rate in the U S is abysmal and it has only gotten worse, um, as time has gone on, which is really terrible, especially for, um, women of color. So kind of looking at that kind of from a public health stance, and then also seeing diet culture as something that is used, has been used to oppress women. It, it just, it just all makes sense. It just calling that all. And it fuels my fire. Like I'm getting angry right now talking about this. <laughs> it's just something I'm really, really passionate about. Kick off the week on an angry note. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love that you mentioned like the kind of the oppression of the healthcare system and how it really doesn't help women. Um, so I think it's important to kind of start with that. Like, you know, in terms of like the timeline, you know, we're going to cover pregnancy, but a big piece of pregnancy is pre-pregnancy. Mm -hmm. um, it's fertility and conception. Um, so even in terms of like, you know, preconception kind of timeline when it comes to nutrition, you know, what kind of are some key messages that, you know, you would want to share with someone, especially someone who probably is super active, has struggled with disordered eating and is like, where do I start if I'm trying to think about becoming pregnant? I know mm -hmm. a lot of my clients and I think just people who listening to this too are probably in that category because of the age that I am and who I, yeah. who I attract. But um, like, you know, where, where should someone start? Because I think when they talk to their doctor, the doctor's like, oh, take a prenatal and then you'll be fine. Um, yeah. You know, so what do you kind of work on with people in that category? Yeah, definitely. So the prenatal is really important. Um, especially when we're thinking about the prevention of neural tube defects. So if you can start taking a prenatal vitamin at least three months prior to trying to conceive, that's awesome. That gives your body um, a chance to kind of build up some of those nutrient stores. And three months prior to trying to conceive is also a really great time to start making nutrition changes with food as well. For the same reason, we can kind of get those nutrient stores built up. And it also gives you time to make nutrition changes too. So that this isn't just another crash diet. This is kind of slow, but steady. We're starting to make some changes. Um, when I think specifically about highly active women who may have struggled with disordered eating, obviously we need you to be getting a period. Um, that's kind of the first thing that comes to my mind. And that's, um, something that's common among, um, athletes and an athlete is anybody who is just active. You don't have to be competing or anything like that in order to be considered an athlete. Um, and hypothalamic amenorrhea is common among any person in any size body. If you are really active and you struggle with your relationship with food, um, and so we want you to be getting a regular period and, um, kind of starting to learn about maybe even some of those signs of ovulation as well. 
um, kind of like, are you getting that increase in cervical mucus kind of halfway through your cycle, noticing any, any other body changes, um, because it is possible to get a period, but not ovulate, um, as well. And over-exercise and under-eating can impact your body's ability to ovulate. And then sometimes you'll still get kind of a withdrawal bleed if your body has enough energy stores to kind of make some of those hormone fluctuations, but not quite enough to ovulate. Um, and every person's body is different as well. One person might be able to like train really hard and for a marathon or something like that and have zero difficulty conceiving. And somebody else might need to take a really big step back. Um, and that just has to do with genetics and evolution and all of that kind of crazy stuff that goes into, um, reproductive biology. So start taking your prenatal, make sure you're getting a period. Um, and kind of knowing that if you want to stay active, carbs are really important for your body to feel safe enough in order to be able to have a healthy pregnancy. So not being afraid of carbs, not being afraid of fats, Um, and I think on top of that, um, just knowing that like, it's going to be okay. It's just going to be okay. There's some things that you can do that will be really helpful to kind of, um, get yourself enough nutrition, but as long as you're eating enough food and they're generally well-balanced meals and you start taking that prenatal vitamin, those are really great first important steps. I love that you covered that. Cause I think, um, I think the, the endurance community, like we do see those like different types of situations that you talked about, like, you know, people who like get pregnant right after they PR in the marathon, you know, or people who have a hard time, you know, running at all and trying to get pregnant because it is such a high intensity sport. And that, you know, some of that might have to do with, you know, fueling and lifestyle factors, but a lot of it does just have to do with, you know, kind of what your body is going to be able to do and respond to stress. And and none of it's your fault. Like it, you know, it just, it just kind of is what it is. And you don't really know sometimes until you start trying, um, which I think is like the scariest piece for people. Um, so really trying to make sure that you're fueling your body properly leading up to it in terms of the, the kind of like getting a period, and cycle kind of factors. I find this so interesting because I actually talked to um, like a group of uh, high school um, cross country and track runners at a running event over the weekend about their periods. And I mean, I didn't know anything about my period when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. Like that just wasn't really right. Like you're kind of, you know, we're in the same age group. Like I feel like it wasn't really taught. Like they were like, you bleed once a month and then, you know, that's a sign that you're not pregnant basically. Um, And that's kind of what, I was taught. <laughs> um, that was it. And it's so interesting now because I had asked the group of high schoolers, like, who here is tracking their cycle? And half of them were, which I thought was like a pretty decent number. Yeah. Like, I didn't even know that tracking my cycle was a thing when I was in high school. I think there's more apps now. So even like, it's beyond just getting a period. It's also like some of those other symptoms you talked about, like, how do you know if you're ovulating, you know, looking at cervical changes and cervical mucus changes, Mm -hmm. um, and becoming a little bit more in tune with that piece of your body. Cause I agree. I feel like that's just something we weren't really taught. (laughs) Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, I went to private Christian school, (laughs) so I was really taught like absolutely nothing. And it's been really interesting to, I don't know, 
let's, let's just put it this way. I do a lot more sex education than I thought I would as a dietitian. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's something that it, a lot of this is stuff that, um, would have been great to learn in high school. So I'm so glad you did that for those girls over, um, last week. Yeah. I'm glad that the, like their coach asked me to. Um, yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, in terms of like, you know, just being in tune with your body and, and getting to know your cycle a little bit more, if that's like really foreign to you, like that would be a good place to start as well, because that helps you conceive if that's your goal also helps you not conceive if that's your goal. Um, (laughs) but (laughs) yeah, in terms of like a prenatal, you know, I know a lot of this, you know, should be individualized, but like, just generally speaking, what are key things that you tell people to look for in picking out a prenatal? Yeah. So, um, yeah, the supplement industry is nuts and there's so many different options for prenatal vitamins out there. It's really, really frustrating honestly. (laughs) Um, so in my, like for my clients, I have like a whole list of like specific ones and we'll go through and try and pick one that meets their needs best. Whether that's like, let's say somebody can't, it doesn't do great swallowing pills or, um, like gets really nauseous with a certain type of capsule or something like that. So it's okay. Um, I think if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably already thinking a lot about things. You're probably already researching a lot. You're going to see prenatal vitamins pop up that are like eight pills a day. You can take them if you want. You don't have to take those ones. There are lots of different great prenatal vitamins out there on the market. So number one, we um, any prenatal vitamin needs to be third-party tested because the FDA does not regulate the supplement industry. And so you want to look for some sort of third-party testing. Sometimes the website will say that they third-party test. It might have like a USP or consumer lab certified label or something like that. That's number one. Um, And that's to make sure that it's safe and effective, Um, especially if we're thinking about, you know, growing a tiny human. We want to take something that is not, is going to work and um, is not going to be dangerous to take. Um, Any prenatal vitamin is going to have folate. There's a big debate about methylfolate versus folic acid. Honestly, I think it's a little bit overblown. I generally, like our food supply is fortified with folic acid and I don't think that's a problem. Um, I will, when I look at the evidence, I think we should take supplements that are methylfolate, but you could go either way. Some doctors will get really angry (laughs) about that and they have valid reasons. We won't get into that discussion today. Most prenatal vitamins all prenatal vitamins will have some sort of folate just because it is so important for preventing neural tube defects. Um, we also want to look for vitamin D in your prenatal, um, at least 2000 IUs is ideal. And if not taking that separately, um, if you live North of like the border of Virginia and North Carolina, you're most likely deficient in vitamin D just because you don't get a ton of direct sunlight, um, especially during the winter time. Um, And if you are somebody with dark skin, that puts you at risk for vitamin D deficiency as well. So that's something to think about. Um, And then choline is another nutrient that's really, really helpful, um, really, really important for fetal brain development. Um, And so looking for like at least like a hundred ish milligrams of choline is helpful. Um, You can also just eat a lot of eggs. Eggs are a fantastic source of choline and, um, if you're not somebody who likes eggs, if you have an aversion to them in pregnancy, you can just take a separate supplement for choline as well. Um, we want to look for all of the B vitamins. There's some um, prenatal vitamins out there that are a little bit bare bones and for some reason don't have like 
B5 in them, but all of your B vitamin needs are elevated in pregnancy. So I like to see all of them there. Um, trying to think about the other ones that I look for. Those are the main ones. Um, but really when it comes down to it, any prenatal vitamin, as long as it's third-party tested, any prenatal vitamin is better than nothing. Yeah. Thanks for getting into that. Cause I think those are kind of the things I hear about too, is like folate versus folic acid and choline, which sometimes like choline is really low in prenatals, even though yeah. every, every dietitian that specializes in this, that you seem to talk to is like, choline is important. You need more than probably what might be in some of the prenatals. Um, is what, what's your take on, cause I know some of this is probably individualized, but in my population, even if they're not pregnant, I see a lot of iron deficiency. And I know that can be a question mark for prenatals as well for people. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. I was like, I knew I was missing a mineral. I was like, what am I missing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, I see a lot of iron deficiency anemia as well in pregnancy. It's common enough that I do think it should be present in your prenatal vitamin, unless you have like some specific health condition, um, like hemochromatosis. You can Google that if you want to, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, um, I, there's, yeah, there's a little bit of pseudoscience around out there. I think, unfortunately around like not needing iron in your prenatal vitamin. And I think that's just kind of coming from like the animal protein forward community. Um, and that's true. If you are eating a lot of animal proteins, you will get some really great, easily digestible, easily absorbable forms of iron. Um, but if ethically you're a vegan, you're definitely going to need iron in your prenatal vitamin. So, um, I think it's always important to get your complete blood count done at the beginning of pregnancy or prior to pregnancy is helpful as well. Um, but yeah, iron deficiency is really common and that can be like foot strike anemia from running a lot. And it can also be, um, just kind of something genetic and absorption issue from your eating pattern, not quite getting enough. Um, but basically like the fetus as it grows is going to take a lot of iron from your body. And so if you're not getting enough iron, there is a risk of, um, intrauterine growth restriction if you are iron deficient, but honestly, I'm more worried about you and, um, kind of how you're feeling. And if you give birth and you hemorrhage and you already don't have enough iron circulating in your body, that can be really dangerous. So, um, a lot of people might, um, have some digestive issues when they take a form of iron called ferrous fumarates or ferrous sulfates. It's a little bit irritating to the stomach. And so I recommend a form of iron called iron bisglycinate or iron chelate and chelate, if you're listening to this is spelled C-H-E-L-A-T-E. Um, <laughs> and those forms of iron are really well absorbed and really gentle on the stomach as well. Um, and then we can also think about iron rich foods, um, cooking with your cast iron skillets, eating more beans and greens, getting some red meat in if you eat it, that kind of thing. But yeah, I do think it should be in your prenatal. Yeah, I think, um, so like key takeaways for iron, get your blood work checked <laughs> and yep. then you'll kind of know where, where you stand. But if you are like a, a runner who's looking to become pregnant or is pregnant and has never really thought about iron before or doesn't eat red meat at least two or three times a week, like you probably are in this category. Um, so yeah, I, I totally, I totally agree with you. And I think that's a, that's a tricky one for people too. I, I, I know I have friends and like clients who have never really 
worried about their iron before and then maybe they get some of their initial prenatal blood work done and it comes up and then they're told by their doctor go on an iron supplement and they're like which one and they're like i don't know just an iron supplement (laughs) um and we're like cool so then they start taking one and it does cause gi upset and they're maybe in their first trimester so they're like already nauseous um Mm -hmm. So I like that you kind of brought up that specific type too of the the chelate and the bisglycinate because I I think those are a little bit better tolerated in my experience. Um, so in terms of like kind of segueing actually into the first trimester, <laughs> um, this wonderful time, you know, you know, you kind of discover you're pregnant. Like there there's so many nutrition recommendations for throughout pregnancy i think the first trimester in particular is one where like i see the most polarization like i was i remember reading blogs just like on the app i was using when i got pregnant that was like you know consume healthy foods have fruits and vegetables and then other ones are like if you're nauseous you know try ginger tea and i know for a lot of women they're like, that's like not what I want at all. <laughs> like, it just feels like you're in survival mode. Yeah. So kind of what are some key things for for people to focus on in the first trimester? Like, I don't know if you want to talk about too, like if energy needs go up, um, you know, and kind of what that looks like trimester to trimester versus things that they should start learning about if they do need to avoid, you know, certain, certain foods as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, and kind of, because the first trimester can be so digestively difficult for many people, that is partly why starting to make nutrition changes and getting some blood work done and starting your prenatal three months prior to trying to conceive is going to give you a little bit of a buffer in the third trimester when we're thinking about like your micronutrient status and things like that. Um, so yeah, nausea is rough. I think, um, it's okay if, veggies aren't happening right now. If we can get you some fruits, that would be great. It'll help you poop, <laughs> help you stay hydrated, get you a little bit of antioxidants. Um, I find smoothies can be really helpful or those really, really tart fruits. A lot of people find watermelon to work really well in the first trimester. Um, but really what we want to do is not, not eat. If that makes sense, you were talking about snacks being super, super helpful, especially in the first trimester. Um, a lot of the times your brain kind of confuses nausea as, or it confuses hunger and it kind of turns into nausea. So it can almost be like, if you're getting nauseous, if it's been a couple hours since you ate, it might actually be a sign that it's, it's time for you to eat something again. So not being afraid of snacks is really helpful. And whenever we can find some little ways to get in some protein, maybe with like some peanut butter, some cheese or whatever, um, alongside those snacks, that's just going to help your blood sugar stay a little bit more even, which if we're not kind of having these big spikes and crashes in your blood glucose, that might help you feel less nauseous too, as well as just kind of getting something on your stomach. Um, when it comes to like the foods to avoid, there's a lot of information out there about food safety. Um, (laughs) but there's also a lot that we can do to help you make decisions for yourself as an adult. You are not a child that has to be scared out of like not doing something. You can make informed choices. Um, and so like, for example, when it comes to deli meat, um, like there is a higher risk of listeria from eating deli meat, but a lot of people are just told to not eat deli meat and they don't realize it's because of food safety. They think that 
oh, deli meat is bad and I need to not eat it because it's not healthy. That's that's not it at all. We just want to be careful about this specific type of bacteria called listeria that loves to live on cold factory equipment and therefore can hide in a deli slicer um, and might uh, increase your risk of foodborne illness. When you're pregnant, your immune system is a little bit lower um, so that your body doesn't reject the fetus and that's going to make you more prone to getting food poisoning. So- there's ways around it. Like you can pop your deli meat in the microwave. You can say, you know what? Deli meat is the only protein that I can tolerate. So I'm just going to take the risk. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> You're allowed to do that. Um, the sushi, for example, like if you are in Japan and you're pregnant, they're going to recommend that you eat more sushi because of the benefits of the omega-3 fats. Um, but they also might be better at keeping everything clean. Um, and here in the U S your regular grocery store sushi might not be the best choice, but a really high-end sushi restaurant might be okay. And it might be safe, but if that freaks you out, that's okay. Don't eat sushi. It's fine. So it's kind of, um, I think we get a lot of fear mongering and just like lists of things not to do and not enough quite of that kind of like education on um, making that informed choice. Yeah. Thank you for discussing that. Cause it's so true. I think, um, like even me reading it, I was like, oh, I can't do that. I was like, wait, but why? And then you look it up and you're like, oh, it's because of the foodborne illness. It's not because there's like a toxic ingredient in that'll, you yeah. know, cause problems with a, with a pregnancy. Um, so I think understanding why, and then making decisions around that, or yeah, like putting it in the microwave. What a great idea. <laughs> um, you know, then you can just have it, especially because I, I know for me, I, I was like, yeah, deli meat and she are like two of the big things that I can actually run my head around eating in the first trimester. Um, so yeah, thank you for, for clarifying that. Um, in terms of like, kind of going into like unhelpful messages around mm -hmm. pregnancy and the first trimester, what are, what are some of the ones that want to get you on your soapbox? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I think you, yeah, you, you also kind of asked me like your third, the third part of that initial question was about like energy needs in pregnancy. Um, and it's true. Like metabolically, you might not need necessarily as much calories in the first trimester compared to the third trimester. But that doesn't mean that if you are extra hungry in the first trimester that you should ignore that. No, <laughs> our bodies are very, very wise. And there's um, some, well, I'll, I'll bet preliminary, there are some studies showing that intuitive eating really does help people gain exactly the right amount of weight for their bodies in pregnancy. Of course, a ton of things can impact your hunger cues, including nausea. And so you, if you're worried about um, gaining enough weight in pregnancy because you don't have ac accurate hunger cues, you need to talk to a, a dietitian and, and, and really work through that with them individually. But um, I think we kind of went from this kind of cultural saying of like eating for two, and then we got diet culture coming back and saying, oh, no, 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 absolutely do not eat for two. That's dangerous. You're going to eat way too many calories if you eat for two. And I'm like, why can't we just let people eat? <laughs> why can't we just kind of give people education on what's happening in their bodies and help them understand that their hunger is going to feel weird. It's going to change day to day, but, um, the more present and mindful you can be with your body, the more you're going to be able to meet those nutrient needs, those, those calorie and protein needs adequately and accurately. Um, and sure, some people are going to need a little bit of guidance along the way, 
but really there is a lot that your body can tell you that you don't have to, um, kind of tightly control with, you know, my fitness pal or something. Let's take a minute to hear a word from our sponsor and thank them, which is better help. If you are in need of therapy, BetterHelp is an absolutely amazing resource that you can use in your therapy journey. They basically make it super quick and easy to get connected to a therapist. Um, it is honestly one of the quickest uh, situations I've ever experienced when it comes to getting that first therapy appointment set up in the healthcare system. Um, so if you would like to save 10% off on your first month of therapy, check out the link in the show notes, which is betterhelp.com slash hollyfueled. That is B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash H-O-L-L-E-Y-F-U-E-L-E-D. Um, and honestly, a lot of what we're talking about, you know, in regards to pregnancy, nutrition, and body image in this episode um, is absolutely, you know, so important. Um, and if you are kind of finding this resonating or, you know, setting off light bulbs in your brain that, Hey, this is something that you would really benefit from working on therapy can be a really helpful tool in this process to help you, um, you know, preconception all the way through postpartum and beyond. If pregnancy is going to be a part of your journey, it is something that has personally helped me so, so, so much. Um, so make sure you go check out better help and let's get back to the episode. Totally. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, also what are like, what's your take on like the, the kind of like the table of, of BMI and then recommended weight gain according to your BMI during pregnancy? Cause I know that's something probably all pregnant people are exposed to in the U S. <laughs> oh, yes, 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 absolutely. So, um, we have a lot of problems with BMI in the first place. I don't know if you have an episode on BMI and why it's so BS Holly, but I don't. Well, I should. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe that's coming up next. <laughs> but as a uh, quick aside, BMI, the body mass index was invented by a white male astronomer in the 1800s on a sample of white men. And he was just kind of curious, like, let's just measure these bodies. That was it. That, that was purely it. And then it just got kind of started to use, it, it started getting used by insurance companies in like I want to say like the fifties or something like that. I might be getting my history wrong, but essentially it's not a helpful indicator um, of health status to the point where the American medical association came out with a clarifying statement saying it shouldn't be, of course they have some other qualifiers um, that are still kind of fat phobic in my opinion, but um, we know that it's not the most helpful indicator of health status. So the Institute of Medicine has these weight gain guidelines. So based on BMI category, it has a recommended recommended weight gain range per BMI category. The lower your BMI is, the more weight you are recommended to gain in pregnancy. And the higher your BMI, the less weight that you're recommended to gain in pregnancy. Because these are based on BMI, that is already going to make it a little bit iffy as far as kind of like their accuracy. But we also know that the studies that were done in order to do to uh, kind of come up with these guidelines were really just kind of observational in nature. And they, it's not like they were saying like, if you, if you gain weight outside of this recommendation, you will have an unhealthy pregnancy. 
Um, and so basically kind of my take on that is if you are underweight, we need to not only make sure that you have nourishment for your body to gain enough, um, to, to just kind of like be a healthy, happy person, but we also need those, um, kind of nutrient stores for baby to grow the higher your weight is the, that those weight gain guidelines still do have you gaining weight in pregnancy. And, um, it's not just going to be the, the, the weight of the baby. There's going to be water weight, breast tissue growth, placenta growth, uterus growth. There's a lot that goes into that weight gain. Um, so we have those and they can kind of be a kind of quick little, are you gaining enough weight in pregnancy? Should we be concerned kind of thing alongside a bunch of other clinical indicators and kind of, if I'm looking at somebody, I might kind of do meet with them a couple of times and see kind of what are they actually eating? Are they meeting kind of their energy and protein needs? Um, but beyond a quick, is this person gaining enough weight in pregnancy? I really don't find them super helpful. Um, and of course we have something like uh, preeclampsia that, um, a, a sign uh, that a rap rapid weight gain is a sign of preeclampsia because your body's holding onto a lot of water. Um, but even, even then like the waking guidelines aren't like necessarily super helpful, but like, if you gain seven pounds in three days, like that's a problem. Um, and that's not something that's going to be reflected on those guidelines. Anyway, people who <laughs> eat intuitively are more likely to gain, um, the recommended amount of weight, according to the Institute of Medicine waking guidelines for pregnancy. Gotcha. That's helpful. I mean, I think there's a big focus on, on weight differences because every time, you know, you go to the doctor, they weigh you. And then depending on the office, they will tell you what that means. And some of them will weigh you. And then they're like, that's it. That's all we're going to talk. You know, we're not even going to talk about it. Like, cause it's, mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter that much. Um, and I actually had, I had that happen to a friend, like with the preeclampsia thing, like she, you know, had gained more weight than what was recommended on the table for her BMI. And they basically were like, you know, you should think about exercising and eating healthy. Like I have my master's in exercise physiology and my undergraduate degree in nutrition. Like I'm, I'm, I think I'm doing those things. Um, you know, and then later down the road, she ended up with preeclampsia, which yeah, I wow. really, you know, she's like, I think that could have that could have been probably caught earlier, <laughs> um, you know, just mm -hmm. because of the the weight changes. So yeah, I think definitely being an advocate for yourself in the healthcare system when it comes to discussions around weight is important anyway. But when it comes to pregnancy, like that doesn't just go away. Like that's really important um, mm -hmm. because it can still kind of be used against you or things can get missed because of essentially that phobia. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's really frustrating. And you're in charge. You get to decide what happens with your weight. If you want to refuse to be weighed in pregnancy, you're allowed to do that. Um, there's obviously risks and you want to discuss that with your healthcare providers. Um, and, but it is something you can do and there's other ways to monitor fetal growth and your health as well. Um, or we can simply do something like blind weights. So you don't even know what your weight is in pregnancy. One of my clients right now, she will step on the scale and not look and have nobody tell her. And then her husband looks in her medical record later and emails me her weight. And it's working perfectly for her and her relationship with food at this stage in her journey. Um, and we might have other people who are going to just, they're going to know the number, but they're going to just ask to not talk about it. And that's it. And they're not going to weigh themselves at home and just really let it be part of the medical record. 
So there's lots of different ways to navigate that as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, those are all great options. Thanks for, for bringing those up. Um, so I think like to kind of wrap up first, first trimester, um, nutrition crash course, <laughs> um, like what are some of like your biggest, like top three tips for, for like morning sickness or nausea? Like how do you kind of help people navigate that? Cause I think that's, that's always a question I get in the first trimester, especially when someone's like trying to eat enough. And then all of a sudden there's this barrier in the way. And then they're also trying to maybe exercise because they're a runner and Mm -hmm. then that can create, you know, more issues as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you are actually throwing up really thinking about the electrolytes, um, and I've learned a lot from Holly's Instagram posts about electrolytes (laughs) with runners. It's been really helpful. So that's especially helpful when you throw up, you're losing electrolytes. So that's something to remember. So if you're also running, you really want to kind of like just listen to your body. And if you are too dehydrated to run that day, that's okay. Um, that kind of thing, but, but really paying attention to that. But as far as nausea goes, we talked a little bit earlier about, um, just snacking, getting something on your stomach between meals. Um, is really, really helpful and not going too long without eating. Um, but as far as kind of like those herbal remedies, ginger is one peppermint is another peppermint can sometimes um, trigger acid reflux for some people, but, um, it can still be really helpful. And some people, some of my clients actually have uh, good luck with peppermint essential oil, not consuming it, but just, um, kind of having it as something to sniff, especially if they're out and about, especially a couple of my clients that live in New York city that there's just <laughs> all the smell. Oh, you have some peppermint essential oil too. <laughs> like showing it to her next yeah. to my desk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it works very effective. Really well. Very, very effective. Um, ginger in any form, you can take ginger capsules if you want to, you don't, you want to be careful with taking too much of them, but, um, ginger tea, non-alcoholic ginger beer has real ginger in it. Whereas like Canada dry ginger ale doesn't, it's just kind of like artificial ginger flavoring. So that herbal component might not necessarily be as effective. Um, I mean, the bubbly can feel good, but it won't have the real ginger in it. Um, or ginger chews or hard candies. There's like peppermint hard candies as well. Um, and sour things sometimes help people as well. So that's where those fruits can come into play or, um, sour candies. And then, um, vitamin B6, for some reason, we don't know why it helps a lot with nausea. And so there are some brands of, um, like hard candies that have B6 in them. Like, um, one brand is called pink stork and they have a couple different flavors of hard candies that have like either ginger or peppermint and B6 in them. And then our next step is an over over the counter drug called Unisom. I'm not a dietitian. I'm not your dietitian. So you need to talk to your doctor because it's a medication. Just double check that it's okay for you, but it is over the counter. And there's one that's, um, Unisom plus B6. And, um, that is really, really helpful for nausea as well. If you're still nauseous, you're doing those things, talk to your doctor. You might need a prescription for something like Zofran. Um, Zofran can make you constipated just FYI. So keep some prunes or some Miralax on hand (laughs) if you do get it, end up getting prescribed that, but that's kind of like our little protocol. We can try ginger, peppermint, B6, then maybe we try Unisom. And if that's not working, your nutrition is really important. And if nausea is inhibiting your nutrition status, like you need to advocate for yourself and it's okay to ask for that prescription medication too. Yeah. 
yeah, that's that's a kind of a good like triage of like things to go for. Yeah, I know. I, I, well, I was laughing. I keep peppermint by my desk. It's just here now because I need to organize my desk. But it used to be here because if like there were weird smells in the house or if my husband was like eating meat, I was like, okay, I need to smell this. Like we used to use this in the in the hospital too for like aromatherapy when I used to work there. And yeah, um, it really, yeah, I feel I find it helpful for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think all of those are great. I know another thing um, just to kind of, yeah, like bridge the gap between runners is that yeah your hydration is super important and that's not just water like especially if you are still trying to be active in in the first trimester your blood volume is increasing a lot which Mm -hmm. can kind of like dilute things in your blood like electrolytes um so sometimes especially if you're trying to like sweat you know taking extra electrolytes and using those pretty liberally is what kind of i found can be really helpful with people who are trying to be active too um, Absolutely. And if you're throwing up, yeah, I mean, get help sooner than later, especially <laughs> um, if it's like more than just one time, because um, yeah. that that does not sound fun. Um, but in terms of like your kind of second trimester, I know a lot of the times this is like kind of the honeymoon phase of pregnancy is what mm-hmm. I've heard. It's a little bit easier for a lot of people. Nausea goes away, like what are some common challenges you see when it comes to like nutrition during this part of pregnancy? Yeah, I would say for a lot of people, it's kind of, um, I mean, not everybody's nausea goes away, like right at 12 weeks. Sometimes it lasts a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, um, just kind of lingering a little bit. Some people are traumatized by their food aversions. And so they're like, I couldn't eat like I couldn't eat chicken in the first trimester and I still can't eat chicken, like help. Like I thought I would be able to eat chicken now. Like what's my protein going to be that kind of thing. Um, and so sometimes we just have to get a little bit creative and that's okay. Um, and there's just a lot of changes to your hunger and fullness. And it really is just like a day to day. Every day feels completely different. Um, and so knowing that, um, I think especially for my clients who have recovered from disordered eating, they got so into the idea of intuitive eating prior to pregnancy. They were really into that. It felt really good. And then all of a sudden everything is thrown off. Their body's changing a lot. Their, um, like hunger and fullness is different every day. So just taking some deep breaths and kind of coming back to your body and knowing that like, this is temporary and I just need to listen to my body in this moment right here now. I think along the, along the lines of that, um, on the body image front, a lot of people are feeling really weird. I, I hear this from like every single one of my clients feel very strange about how they're gaining weight, but their belly isn't popping yet. And so it almost feels like they don't yet have an excuse to look larger. Um, and so if that's you, I just want to know that I just want to validate that for you, that you are so not alone in feeling that way, that literally everybody I mean, I don't know how you've been feeling Holly, but so many people have felt like that and that's okay. Your body is allowed to change and grow and, um, remember that your body needs to change and grow with that water weight retention, with your hip shape changing, with your breast size changing. Um, and if you did need to kind of re-nourish because you were underweight prior to pregnancy, that's also really important for your well-being and your baby's well-being on top of that. And it's just, it's just allowed your body is just allowed to change. Oh, so many good things there. I think you had mentioned earlier in the episode, like, you know, when 
when you gain like the, you know, 15 to 45 pounds, you know, whatever it might be during like the whole pregnancy um, or more or less or whatever's right for your body. Like it's not just baby. Like it's not just weight from the baby. It's also weight from like blood volume and the placenta and your uterus and your breast tissue. And not all of this is just going to be in your belly. Um, Mm -hmm. So people gain weight and it looks different on everyone. And that's, definitely a thing I've talked to. Like I have so many pregnant friends right now and a lot of them, especially through like the kind of first trimester, second trimester, like the first part of the second trimester, you're Mm -hmm. almost like, I feel like the version of myself who's really bloated that I don't love it when I look at that person in the mirror. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's kind of like a mind F um, and you're like, I kind of fit in my clothes, but I don't really yet. I don't fit in the maternity clothes yet. So I don't know, like, I want to wear a shirt that says like, I'm pregnant, I'm not bloated, or I'm pregnant and I'm bloated. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and I think that's super, that's super good to bring up because it's not just like the cute little, you know, baby bump for everyone. Some people have that experience, but a lot of people do not. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah. And I think just it's, it can be a really helpful practice in body image and body acceptance and just allowing your body to change, but it's really dang hard for sure. For sure. Something else that I was, that just came to my mind, um, is, um, with that weight gain, we also want to make sure that we're maintaining your muscle stores, especially if you're, um, an athlete and you're really active, your baby needs a lot of protein to grow and your body will take that. Like there's something called pregnancy, butt, which I learned about from my physical therapist, um, your glutes have a lot of, they're a really great store of protein. And so your body will just, just take all that <laughs> if you're unable to, or, um, or just not eating enough food period. Um, and then we need you to eat more protein, but we also just need you to eat enough calories period to maintain those. So not only are you needing to gain all of these other things, but it would be ideal if we could maintain your muscle stores period, not only for you to just be a happy, healthy person, but if you are hoping to be active and have a good postpartum recovery as well, it's really helpful. We can maintain those muscle stores. Yeah, that's definitely a thing. It's, and it's also like, it's hard because I think a lot of like food aversions have to do with protein, at least in my experience, like working with people and in my, my own personal experience too. I was like, well, Mm -hmm. Like protein is no longer a food group. Um, so, you know, whatever you can kind of, whatever you can kind of do to get, to get some protein and can be helpful, but the, just the total calorie part is, is really important too. Yeah. And you're probably not going to be like gaining a lot of muscle mass during pregnancy besides what additional human you're growing. Um, so yeah, I think just adjusting expectations there, yeah, um, definitely can definitely be helpful. Um, in terms of like the third trimester, um, I think I, this can kind of come up, I think throughout pregnancy, but something I hear most often and have not yet experienced, um, is like heartburn and like early satiety tend to be mm-hmm. bigger struggles just because things are taking up more room as they're growing. Like what are some of your tips to help women, um, and pregnant people kind of get through that? Yeah. Um, the biggest thing that helps with heartburn is taking your bra off. People always laugh when I say that, (laughs) but, um, really it does help a lot. Basically your, um, you can kind of think about your stomach, like a squeeze bottle. And at the top of the squeeze bottle, there's a valve. And if there's anything putting pressure on the squeeze bottle, the valve at the top is going to open. So that valve is, uh, it's called your lower esophageal, lower esophageal sphincter. 
Um, and when that opens, because there's pressure from the baby and because, um, kind of some of the hormones in your body are making it relax a little bit, your stomach acid splashes back up in there. And that's what causes the heartburn. So <laughs> take off your bra <laughs> so much and, you know, just make sure you're wearing like loose, comfortable clothing as well. And on top of that, staying upright for as long as possible after a meal, like an hour, don't go lay down on the couch, like sit on the couch. It's totally fine. But like, try and stay propped upright if you can, or some people will go on a walk after, um, they eat as well. Um, and just kind of time their activity in that regard. And it seems to help a little bit with just getting things to go down and let gravity do its thing. Um, and I think also, um, just kind of trying, like knowing that it's okay to be full early, um, you might end up getting really hungry really quick again, right after that. And that's okay. So some of my clients will like, for example, let's, let's say it's breakfast and they wake up and they're super hungry for a big breakfast. So they make the big breakfast. And then all of a sudden they're halfway through and they're like, Oh my God, I'm so full. Just put it in the refrigerator. Like just put it aside and you can come back to it in like 30 minutes an hour. That's totally fine. It's not a big deal at all. Um, and that can be super helpful. Um, and and, or just snacking more if you're, if your meals end up being smaller, um, just making sure you're filling in those gaps overall. Nutrition advice, take off your bra. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Burn it. <laughs> yeah. Just get rid of it. It's, it's very true. It's super true. That's kind of like one of my first, uh, red flags. I was like, oh, I need to get different bras. Cause I was like, I, I can't breathe or like there's acid reflux happening. So it's a very real thing and very good advice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I, this has been super helpful and you know, it all, all always like when I talk to an expert, like makes me realize like, yeah, there could be, you know, three years of podcast episodes on these topics um, because there's so many deep dives we could take on like everything that you say. Um, but I mean, in terms of just kind of some, some key takeaways from this episode, as we wrap up, like, what are like, I guess some of like the, the biggest challenges you see just with, fertility, like conception, pregnancy. I know that's like making you narrow it down a lot, but that you kind of work on with people. Um, and where can people find you and the resources that you provide? Because I think, I think that's important too. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, when we think of just about, uh, just about like living in this thin obsessed world, especially if you're an athlete, um, knowing that, your optimal nutrition for pregnancy, um, might require or result in some body changes and that's okay. And it's a kind of a hard pill to swallow, but your happiest, healthiest self might not be the, the self that looks the way that you want it to look. Um, but ultimately when you kind of are able to make that mindset shift and actually listen to your body's needs and fuel it appropriately, not only can that help with your fertility and prenatal outcomes, that's something that's going to help you not only have help your future child, have a healthy relationship with food and body, but also just help you be your happiest, healthiest self for years to come beyond that. Um, yeah, that's my, what was your question? Oh my God. We're, we're brain farting now. Oh, no, where can you great. find me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where can people find you? Um, so you can find me on Instagram as at fertility.prenatal.dietitian and then on TikTok as at fertility.prenatal.rd. And uh, my website is www.feedyourzest.com. 
Yeah. And people, so many resources there, whether you're pregnant, wanting to become pregnant, not yet pregnant, postpartum, like go check Mackenzie out. She's got resources for all of that and everything in between. And I think that's important. Like a lot of, a lot of that work on body image and relationship with food, if you have, you know, room to plan around pregnancy, like doing a lot of that beforehand can just make the experience so much more enjoyable, even though it's still really challenging. Um, so yeah, I think if, if you're like, oh yeah, I'm kind of thinking about kids in a couple of years or, you know, someday in general, like doing that for your future self now is, is definitely a big deposit in the bank. <laughs> um, yeah, but thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I want to ask you the end of the podcast question, which I don't think I warned you about. Um, so this will be fun, but, um, say you are about to like cross the finish line of, you know, the, the best race of your life, whether it was a run, a swim, a bike, a hike, whatever, like summit is the most, you know, exciting thing to you. What song would be playing to embody how you feel in that moment of triumph? Oh my God. Okay. So it's the, this, oh gosh, it's on, it's on TikTok. And I don't know that I'm so bad with song names, Holly. <laughs> TikTok's how I listen to new music now. I'm like, oh, I like that. What is, does that actually, exactly. a real song? <laughs> but it's the one that goes, da, 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 da. I don't know yeah. if it's specific or not. I think I know which one. <laughs> I have to go, I need to go look this up because I think I know which one you're talking about, but I don't know if I know the name either. I feel um, like it's, and it's, but usually, I, it's a lot of the time it's like when there's a, some sort of scenic view too. So that's kind of like what, like getting to the summit of a hike and you like, la, la, la. you just have this like panoramic <laughs> view of like, I'm just picturing the Blue Ridge Mountains. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love the Blue. I miss the Blue Ridge Mountains. They're so pretty. Um, well, I love that. We'll go. I'll have to go look that up and add it to the the playlist that I'm making answers to this question because everyone's has been pretty much everyone's has been different so far. I think there's been like one or two repeats, and that's it, which is which is pretty impressive. So that's now awesome. I have to go look up TikTok names of songs because I don't know any of them either. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll look but, it. I'll try it. if I find it. I'll send it to you. <laughs> Please do. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, really appreciate it. It was good to see you. Great to see you too. Thanks so much for having me. Mackenzie, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure to get to chat with you about this. Um, and I really hope you guys go check her out if you need more support in this area because she is a pro. Um, if you have been enjoying this podcast, I would really appreciate a five-star rating and review if you think I am worthy of that on your podcast player of choice as it really helps uh, the show and it really helps just get more free content out there to different people because um, this is one of my favorite places to share information, research, educational tools <laughs> to help you guys. Uh, that's totally free to you and definitely takes a lot of time and effort on my part, um, but it's totally worth it. And I absolutely love being able to do this show. So would really appreciate the rating and review, the share, the tag, and until next time, happy running. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.